Mark chapter 11, beginning in verse 15. It says, Then they came to Jerusalem, and he, this is speaking of Jesus, entered the temple and began to drive out those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he would not permit anyone to carry merchandise through the temple. And he began to teach and say to them, Is it not written, My house should be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a robber's den? The chief priests and the scribes heard this and began seeking how to destroy him, for they were afraid of him, for the whole crowd was astonished at his teaching. Let's pray. Father, I ask in Jesus' name, truly today, Lord, would you draw us in to right and sincere and passionate worship? And God, I also pray that you'd purge us, O Lord, of that which is insincere, irreverent, God, and Lord, that doesn't please you. Lord, I ask in Jesus' name, may we in the temples of our own hearts, God, would you clean us today, that, God, we could worship you and experience you, we pray. Be with me as I preach. God, I pray for your anointing of the Holy Spirit, and I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, church family, here in this passage of Scripture, we see a pretty incredible sight. Jesus Christ, our Savior, enters into the outer courts of the sacred temple there and uh, where the Jews would worship, and he seizes uh, this opportunity to speak to their sinful and irreverent practices in worship. The Bible says here that Jesus comes in. He is flipping tables. He's letting animal loose, a- animals loose. The Bible says there that he turns over the seats of those who were selling doves. I mean, essentially it's saying that Jesus is dumping people out of their seats. And then he's stopping people who are passers-by from carrying merchandise through the temples, uh, through the temple here. In the words of Pastor Tony Evans, he would say here, we see Jesus getting a little rowdy. In fact, and this is the second time that Jesus would cleanse the temple. In John chapter 2, we see at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus also cleansed the temple. And in John 2, we see that not only did he run everybody out of the temple like he's doing here, but the Bible says that he takes some leather and he makes a whip and runs everybody out of here. Jesus pulls that Indiana Jones in the temple and gets everybody out of the temple. And so he does this at the beginning of his ministry, and then he does it again now towards the end of his ministry. And rightfully so. What was taking place in the temple was a far cry from what God originally intended. Instead of people coming from afar to bring their animal sacrifices to God that they had raised and prepared at home as God had intended, they were just trying to pick it up outside the temple. Instead of fast food, you see here they're trying to have fast faith. Instead of people having a reverence for the courts of the temple and walking around the great outer courts to get what they were, where they were trying to go in the city, rather they were taking shortcuts through the temple and they were making the hallowed hallways of the temple nothing more than a shortcut. And since the monetary offerings that God required of his people were to be paid in specific currency, And since many of the Jews were coming from all over the world, would travel to this place, and their currency didn't always match, they were there, they would have to exchange their currency. And the chief priest had welcomed these money changers into the outer courts of the temple, but they were charging absorbent exchange rates, not just to provide, not just to make money for themselves, but they were also, history shows us, that they were paying that extra money to the priest and to the chief priest. So instead of, it wasn't just these people doing an irreverent practice, it was supposed to be the shepherds of God's people were robbing from the people of God. 
Everything that was going on here in the temple was anathema from what God had intended and designed. This was far from the worship that God had desired. And so we see Jesus coming in and cleansing the temple. If this text shows us anything this morning, is that God cares about what our worship looks like. The title of our message this morning is, What is God's Opinion of Our Worship? You know, that's a pretty interesting thing to think about. You know, when we think about actions in worship, we think about going to church, we think about singing and giving and serving, and rightfully so, all of those things are actions of worship. But sometimes, I don't know if we ever really pause to think about, what does God think about the manner and the heart in which I am worshiping the Lord? As I was preparing this past week, I got to thinking about that. I was like, God, what about me and preaching and serving? And, and what, How do you view my worship? And I couldn't help uh, but remember a moment where I believe God probably thought my worship was pretty funny. Uh, several years ago, as I was pastoring in Arkansas, and some of you guys have seen me do this, on a Sunday morning as the Lord is just moving and working, God may place a song on my heart, and as I come up, and I'll, I'll maybe take a moment and just lead the congregation to, hey, sing this together with me, or I'll look at the choir and I'll say, hang on, y'all, y'all, y'all need to hang up for a minute, we ain't done yet, you know, and so th- this happens on occasion. Well, the, the Lord had laid on my heart as we were singing, worshiping, to lead our church family in that hymn, there is a fountain filled with blood, drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains which I think would have been an incredible moment of worship the only problem was is that my mind and my soul defaulted to the wrong tune instead of leading our congregation in that hymn with that tune my mind went to the the theme of the old lang sign which is the new year's eve song okay so I stand behind the pulpit and I say, church, I'm just a real spiritual moment. You know, church family, just sing this with me. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And, and I could tell about midway through it. This doesn't seem right. <laughs> so I pray. We, but everybody stays together. You see people looking around like, what's going on? Actually, if you sing it, it fits weirdly, okay? So I, I prayed. And when I got through praying, you could hear the little snickers and laughs. I said... I bet you've never sang that hymn like that before. and It was not my best moment. Anyway, so, but we do see that God does care about our worship. Worship is a common word that's found all throughout the Scripture. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for worship is shaha, which means to bow down. In fact, one of the first instances we see that word used is in Genesis 22, as God has called Abraham to test Abraham's obedience to go and sacrifice his son Isaac. And in Genesis 22, and you see in verse 5, this is what Abraham says, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over there, and we will worship and return to you. From the very beginning, worship has been something that was intended to be reverent. It was intended to be an act of obedience. It was intended to be humble. It was intended to cost you something. We see that with Abraham. And the reality is, is as Jesus walks in here in Mark chapter 11, as he walks into the temple, we see that worship was cheap. It was not costing the people anything. It was not real and sincere. My heart for this sermon this morning... It's church family, we don't worship in a temple anymore. And I said this in the first service, God forbid, but you know what? If, if the Lord was to, for some reason, take this worship center off the map, if, we, if this thing was to burn down, the church would not be affected because we are not this building, we are the people of God. 
And we worship and dwell not in physical temples, but we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But my heart would be today is that as Jesus came through this physical temple and cleansed it and called people to true worship, is that this morning we would search our own hearts and lives, examine our own worship, and maybe God do a cleansing and revitalizing work in our own lives. So that being said, if you're keeping notes this morning, our first truth from this passage today is this. This passage reminds us that God despises insincere worship. Now let's take a moment and look into detail detail at the insincere practices of worship that were taking place by the people here. Look at verses 15 and 16. It says, When they came out of Jerusalem, he entered the temple, began to drive out those who were buying and selling in the temple, overturning the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he would not permit anyone to carry merchandise through the temples. There's really three acts of insincere worship here that I believe we can look at and we need to search our own hearts and lives in. The first thing we see here in this text is we see that God despises half-hearted worship. The Bible says here when Jesus came in cleaning out the temple, he didn't just clean out those who were selling these, these things. The Bible says he cleans out, he runs out of the temple those who were buying these animals and these sacrifices. Now, the Bible makes clear here that there is some provision that was given to the people of God if they lived a great distance away in bringing their produce or their fruits or vegetables or their animals that they could, take, in a, in a sense, purchase them when they got closer. But this was intended to be the exception and not the norm. What was intended to be the case is that a family, a father, would raise their own sacrificial lamb. Or they would gather their own sacrificial doves or whatever the law may require. And on their way to the temple, their whole children, their whole family would see and they would know that is the one that has been set aside for worship. And it would be a practice that was reverent and intentional. But rather now the people of God had just found it to be more convenient to just purchase it when they get there. To just buy it as they come in the door. It was thoughtless, it was heartless, and it was cheap. The problem was not what they were buying to be used in worship, but how or why they were buying such things. What was supposed to be reverent and worshipful practices were rather being done out of habit, requirement, or for cultural acceptance. They were doing what they were supposed to be doing, but their hearts were not really in it. Now let me explain one thing here today. I do know and I believe that there are moments when we have to worship the Lord out of obedience when worship is hard. Sometimes you're going through a difficult season in life. Sometimes you're going through a crisis, but you continue to come into the house of the Lord. Your heart is heavy, but you still come out of obedience to worship the Lord. I want you to hear this this morning, church. That is not half-hearted worship. That is just worship when it's hard. And God is honored when we worship God out of obedience when it's hard. However, there's a difference between worshiping God when it's hard and just worshiping God when it's half-hearted. When you're going through the rituals and motions but there's no spiritual passion or desire behind it. Let me give you a few ways you can know when your worship is half-hearted. Half-hearted worship can look like when you go to church, but you only go because you're supposed to, not because you desire to meet with God. There's no passion to really meet with the Father. Half-hearted worship can look like when you pray, you pray only when you need something, but never to commune with God. As far as in heaven is concerned, your record, your prayer life is much more God I need, God I need, God I need, and very little God you are, God you are, God you are, just to commune with God. 
Half-hearted worship can look like when you give, not only because not, not because you are desiring to let the Lord know how good He is to you, so you bring your tithes and your offerings, but rather you bring it just simply to get the tax, tax write-offs or because you believe that there may be some sort of blessing on the other side of it. And finally, half-hearted worship can look like when you sit under the preaching of God's Word, not because you're hungry to be led or directed by God, but only because you want to be entertained. And when you're not, you start looking at the clock. Now you say, now preacher, you're meddling now this morning. But the reality is, is sometimes that's true. Let me tell you something here this morning, church, is that half-hearted worship doesn't just please God. It cheats us out of what the true reaction of real worship looks like. Because when we are full-hearted in our worship, when our worship is real and sincere, that's when we connect with God. But half-hearted worship cancels you out from meeting with God in His presence because God demands the fullness of who we are. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart. That means single-hearted, full-hearted, for they shall see God. So this is the first irreverent aspect of worship, worship that is half-hearted. Secondly, this text shows us that, worship, that, that God despises worship that is self-focused. Now again, Jesus, the Bible says here that he runs out those who are buying the things in the temple. And then he runs out those who are selling these items in the temple. And he turns over the seats of those who are selling doves. Now from the outside, it probably would have looked like these people were doing a great service to the people and a service to God. Hey, you know, they're out there selling doves and animals so that people can go and worship. But the truth was, is that they were not there to help anybody else but themselves. They were only there to make a profit. They were only in the house of God for what they could get and not what they could bring. Now, now we got to say that one again here for a moment. They were in the house of God not for what they could bring, but only for what they could get. Worship was about self. The same can be true for insincere worshipers today. We could come into the house of God and it be all about ourselves instead of being all about God. Now listen to me this morning, church. That doesn't mean that God doesn't care about our needs and our struggles. Praise God that he invites us to bring those things to him. We do that every Sunday morning as we open up our prayer time. If there's hurts or needs, bring those before the Lord. Praise God that God invites us to do that. But that has to be the secondary issue over the first issue of saying, God, I'm here for you. A great question would be, is that if somebody came into your house on Sunday mornings, you're getting ready for church, and they were to say to you, hey, everything that you're going to pray about this morning, God's not going to answer any of it, would we still go? Because it's not about us, but rather it's about God. Let me give you a few clues of how we can tell what self-focused worshipers look like. First, self-focused worshipers are always attached to personalities instead of the power of God. A problem in our modern day is that there's pressure for pastors and ministers to be celebrities. And there's nothing, that is nothing further from the truth according to Scripture. The Bible says that Jesus was one whom had no stately form that we should look upon him. The Apostle Paul said, I didn't come with eloquence of speech or superior wisdom, but I came in the power of God. Now, church family, there's nothing wrong with loving your pastors and loving your ministers. Can I say so? We love you, and, and, and we believe that you love us, and we want that to be the case. But let this be true in our hearts this morning, that we never, ga- we never, never gather to worship or to meet with anybody else over and above, first and foremost, meeting with Jesus. And then finally, self-focused worshipers are always concerned about the preferences and the minor things instead of the priorities and the major things. 
Church family, we can always tell when we are trending towards being self-focused in our spiritual journeys when we're more concerned about changes in the style of worship, the color of the carpets, or other secondary issues rather than how many people are getting saved, how prayerful we are, how faithful we are to the Scriptures, and how focused we are on the mission of Jesus. Now, I want to take a time out here for a moment and say to you as your pastor, this has not been my experience at Enon. Amen. Every, every change that we, have, uh, that we have put before the people, every opportunity to focus on the mission of the gospel is that you guys have been so faithful in that and praise the Lord for that. But it is something we always have to be guarded against. The question should never be, first, what do I desire? But should always be, what does God desire? This is a good opportunity, by the way, to cause us to think about some exciting news in the days ahead here at Enon. We have recently put together two really important teams here at our church. One is our long-range planning team that is going to begin looking at our long-range building and facility needs. As we continue to grow by the grace of God, we need more space, and this team is going to help us prepare in the days ahead. Just this last week, we had, to, had the conversation with, uh, uh, with Ron Allen and, and Bud Anderson, who, who teach these incredible uh, life groups, these big, large, uh, senior adult uh, life groups. And uh, the children's uh, class, need our, our children's space, is needing those rooms. And one of the most encouraging things was to be able to talk to these individuals about, hey, guys, we need you guys to move your class because we got so many kids and it was funny to see them laugh at us and say you know what pastor Zach we've been waiting on this you know we've been we've been knew, knew that was a problem that was coming to be so gracious in that because the mission is bigger the mission is growing so we do need to look at these plans for the future so that people don't have to keep moving around classrooms so we can look for the days ahead also we put together a sanctuary update and renovation team As we've mentioned in past months, our building and grounds teams have noted several things in this building that needs to be addressed and fixed. And while we're in that process, it's a great opportunity to update our facility. As we've said recently, most of us have updated our homes in the last 20 years to make it more fresh and inviting. And here with this place where we gather to worship, we should do no less. We've assembled a team from all generations to lead this process of designing what will best suit our needs, to consider your thoughts, and help us reach more people in the days ahead. Our hopes is that they will be able to bring to us a rendering of what that could potentially look like for us to vote on at some point in the days ahead. But let me say this to you this morning as your pastor. Physical things like this matter. It matters because God wants us to steward the resources that he's given us best to reach people in our day and age. And that's why we do need to change and update and do these things. But at the same time, we need to remember that in the grand scheme of things, any of these physical things that we do to this facility will not matter once Jesus shows up. Is this all going to be burned up? What will matter most at Enon Baptist Church will not be the room where we gather, but the mission for which we gather, which is to make disciples of all the nations and bring more glory and praise to Him. The color of the carpet will matter less than the amount of tears we shed on it as we pray. The design of the chairs will matter less than our desire that every seat be filled with lost and hungry people who are looking for Jesus. The style of furniture in the foyer will matter less than smiling faces there ready to greet people as they come into the house of the Lord. Church family, we must always be a people who focus less on the kingdom of self and more on the kingdom of God. Can we get an amen for that this morning? Finally, this text shows us that God despises 
worship that is irreverent. The last action we see Jesus taking in this passage towards worship that displeased him were that there were people who were casually just walking through the temple as a shortcut to where they were going. The Bible says there in verse 16 that Jesus stopped them. He would not permit anyone to carry merchandise through the temple. We find Jesus ultimately standing at the door saying, unless you've entered this place to worship, don't come in. Now again, we are the temple of God, and I am so thankful. We pray every week that God brings lost people, people that are searching for him, into the house of the Lord. So we don't need to, to take this passage to mean that Jesus is standing at the door. Unless you've got your heart right with Jesus, you can't come in. That is not true. We want to be a hospital for sinners and for the hurting to be able to come and find Jesus. But that being the case, this passage should show us that God desires some areas in our life to be sacred. God desires some areas in our life to be special with him. And I believe in our day and age what that looks like, I believe that that means when we sit down to read God's word, it's time to turn off our phones, to turn off the TV, to get away from distractions and meet with him. It means that when we try to find that time daily to pray and meet with God, that we specifically pull aside that time so that that is real and intentional so we're not rushed. And that may mean that you got to get up at 4.30 in the morning or 5 o'clock in the morning before your kids uh, have to go to school and all those things. But it's worth it because that place should be sacred. It also means that when we gather together on Sundays to come into the house of the Lord, that we're not so rushed to get out of here to get to our plans on the other side of worship, that we miss God in the moment. I believe God wants us to have some sacred places in our lives. So church family, this first truth this morning should cause us to ask, is our worship pure? Is it, is it, is it single-hearted? Is it self-centered? Or are there any areas of irreverence in our heart and life? So the first thing that this passage, truth that this passage teaches us this morning is that God despises insincere worship. The second truth today, though, is that this passage reminds us that God desires true and sincere worship. As we see Jesus coming into the temple, flipping tables and turning over the, the tables of the money changers and releasing animals and doing those things that he was doing there, he was causing a stir, but he was not causing a panic. He was controlled in this whole moment. He was not causing a panic. He was being prophetic. The Bible says here that he was teaching as he was doing this. In verse 11, the Bible says that he began to teach and say to them, Is it not written, My house should be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. Now Jesus quotes from two of the major Old Testament prophets here. He quotes from Isaiah and from Jeremiah. In Isaiah chapter 56 verse 7 He's quoting about my house should be called a house of prayer. Isaiah said, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make joyful in my house of prayer. I love that we sang this morning. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Man, this was what Isaiah prophesied about worship would look like. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house should be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Now notice there, Isaiah talks about other aspects of worship. Singing, and he talks about them bringing sacrifices. And the, the scripture shows us over and over again that, that this was the case in the Old Testament temple. That they would sing regularly. They would recite the scriptures. That they would offer these sacrifices. There was much more going on in the temple than just prayer. But rather, Isaiah gives us the focus that the foundation of all of our worship should be in the same attitude with prayer. That prayer is kind of the gauge of the rest of our worship. And then he quotes from Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 11, 
It says, but rather, you've made it a den of robbers. Basically, what Jesus says here is, this is the right form of worship, and you're doing it wrong. Now, we've already looked at all the wrong that they were doing, but I do believe if we think about prayer as kind of the foundation of worship, is that prayer kind of sets the tone for the rest of our worship, then it can show us ways to evaluate the sincerity of our worship, what right worship should look like. In some aspects, prayer is kind of like the thermometer of your spiritual, to take your spiritual temperature. If your prayer life is sick, then the rest of your worship is likely to be sickly as well. And it's another reason why I invite you to come tonight at 6 o'clock as we come together as a church just to pray. But I do want to give us some principles here. I want to give you four reasons that prayer influences our worship. So again, by looking at what we do in prayer, it helps us in all areas of our worship. So first, we see that prayer puts you in a posture of pursuing God. And pursuing God is crucial to sincere worship. At the most basic level, prayer is something that we do that communicates to God that we desire Him, that we long for Him. When Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer that your kingdom come, your will be done. What you're saying is, this, oh Jesus, I want the king. I, I want to see the king at work in my life. I want your rule and dominion to be aware and seen in every area of my life. All aspects of worship. Be it singing, giving, serving, should be done out of a deep hunger for the presence of God by his people. Church family, our worship is sincere when we walk into this room or we walk into our prayer time tonight or tomorrow morning in ourselves personally. When we come and say, God, if I do anything else this morning, I just want to meet with you. Psalms 42 verses 1 and 2 says this. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O my God. My soul thirsts for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Church family, I want to ask you this question this morning as we ask God to evaluate our worship. Are you hungry for Jesus? Are you hungry for God? Do you see that evidenced in your prayer life and in every other area of your life? When you came in this morning, did you come in just to come to church? Or did you come in this morning hungry to meet with God? And I'll say this to you this morning, church. Sometimes we're not hungry. Because we're full somewhere else. We're being fed on the things of this world, man. We're being fed on praise of other people. We're being fed on money and desire and all these other things. But we all know in our hearts and our souls that those things never truly satisfy. Are we hungry for Jesus? Secondly, prayer prostrates you before God. And being low before God is key to sincere worship. People who are passionate in their prayer lives, are, uh, prayer lives are often prostrate, meaning they get low before God in their hearts and their bodies before the Almighty God. You know, we as Christians can struggle with this, by the way. We are so thankful for the gospel. Can I say to you here this morning, there is nothing better on this earth than to know that through Jesus I have full access to the Father. Amen? The Bible says in Hebrews that, man, I can boldly approach the throne of grace and receive mercy and find help in my time of need. Praise the Lord for that grace and that mercy that through his blood I am covered and invited to come into his presence. But hear me this morning, church. Just because I can freely come before God does not mean that I am God. And when I come into the presence of God, I should rightfully have an area of worship and reverence in my heart and life. Paul celebrated both of these truths. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18, he spoke about his access to the, God, to the Father through Jesus. 
For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. He celebrates through Jesus. Man, I can get to the Father. But then in Ephesians 3, 14, we see the posture of what he looked like when he went before the Father. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Paul came excitingly and boldly and joyfully in the presence of God, but he also came reverently. This reminds me of a story of Dr. Adrian Rogers, the great pastor there in Memphis. He was in high school. He was playing high school football, and God was calling him to preach. And it didn't matter what was going on in the middle of practice and all those things. He knew he was wrestling in in his heart about what God was wanting to do in his life. He said one day after practice, practice was over with, everybody started ahead of the locker room, and he started to walk and just go throughout his day, but the, the, the Spirit of God was so heavy on him that he couldn't take another step. He said in his football pads and everything, he laid down on their practice field, and as he laid down to get low before God, he said he took his hands and he dug back the grass and the dirt and made a little hole in the ground, and he put his face in that hole in the ground, and he told God, he said, God, I cannot get any lower before you because you are such a great and awesome God, and I just want you to know I will do whatever you want me to do. Sometimes, church family, we've got to have that place in our life. We say, oh, God, I just want to get low before you. Thirdly, prayer calls us to seek purity before God. And purity is key in sincere worship. All over Scripture we see how prayer and worship, there's an aspect of God's people coming and cleansing before Him. Richard Owen Roberts, a great revivalist, made this statement about confession and repentance in the hearts of God's people's lives. And this is what he said. He said, the question is not, has a Christian repented? But is, they, or is a Christian living repentantly and this is who we are this is how we we live we are followers of jesus of god if you've been born again on the inside but at the same time you're going to mess up and make mistakes and that's part of living in a broken world so regularly part of our worship is to come before god and to receive cleansing not to get in a relationship with god if you're a follower of jesus in faith then that is sealed but coming to jesus regularly in purity is just an aspect of our worship in the old testament tabernacle The Bible says in Hebrews that the tabernacle is a shadow of what would come in Jesus. So it's really a beautiful study. One day we'll do that. We'll walk through all the aspects of the tabernacle, how it pointed us to Jesus. But basically it was a a cloth barrier around the Holy of Holies where the Ark of God rested. And it had one entrance. It was one beautifully broad entrance, but it was one entrance. And people would go into that entrance. And the first thing that they would come to is the brazen altar. The fire altar where they would present their sacrifices. And their sacrifices would go on the brazen altar. Then the next thing that they would come to was called the bronze laver. Or or referred to as the great sea or the sea. And it was a hammered out bronze giant bowl. That it was hammered out to such fine beauty that it was like a mirror. And it was full of water. And the priests and those who would serve in the temple would come regularly. And as they looked into this giant bowl, they could see the reflection of themselves. And they would cleanse and purify themselves as they worshiped the Lord. Now in Jesus, we don't worship like that anymore. In Jesus, I have access to the Father. The Bible says that he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said, I am the gate that you can come in and out and find pastures. So through Jesus, I enter into his presence. And then once I get there, I lay my life before him, not a sacrifice, my whole life before him. Like Romans 12 says, as a living sacrifice that is holy and acceptable to God in worship. And by the way, again, worshiping full-hearted and single-hearted, you can never truly experience God if you don't have all of you on the altar this morning. 
Church family, hear me on this. You could say, God, I'm going to give you 90%, but I got this 10%. I'm going to hang on for myself. Hear me this morning, church. That 10% will keep you from interacting with a holy God. You got to say, God, here's all of myself. And then you go to the place of prayer in his word. The Bible says we are washing through the renewing of the word as you wash yourself. Oh, God, I cleanse myself before you. 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9 says this, If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. This is speaking to Christians. But then he says, But if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. You know, uh, Jackson and I got to have a boys' day this last Friday and it was fun, y'all. I'm telling you, we, we had, it was the ultimate boys' day. We went catfishing. We caught, listen, I'm talking big old slimy farm pond catfish. You know, like we caught more catfish than we knew what to do with. We caught a big turtle. We, we played around. We jumped in Smith Lake and just swam, drove under a bridge. I and mean, we did redneck style vacation. We drove under a bridge. Jackson looked at me and said, Daddy, can we do this? I was like, yeah, man, nobody owns the bridge. Let's go, you know. So we swam and did all that. When we came home, we were gross. And Kimberly met us at the door, and Jackson's telling us how great it was. And she said, baby, that's awesome. That's good. But before you come in, y'all got to wash off. You got to wash off out there. Got to wash off some of this before you come in. I want you in the house and I want to hear all this, but you've got to wash off before you get in the house. Church family, that's what purity has to have a part of our worship. The Father says, I want you to come on in. You're welcome to come in, but you got to hose off before you step into the house. And then lastly, prayer should always include praise of God, and praise should always be a part of genuine worship. Again, as Jesus taught us to pray, he taught us to pray, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. To praise God. If the central goal of prayer is to commune with God, then rightfully, anytime we're in the presence of our great God, it should incorporate praise. So this place being a house of prayer should also mean it's a house of praise. It also means that your prayer times, your time with Jesus at home, should be a house of prayer. But it should also be a house of praise. I hope you're reading through the one-year Bible with us. If you haven't joined that journey with us, we invite you to do that. But uh, just this last week, if you've been reading through the one-year Bible, you get to hear about David bringing the Ark of the Covenant home. Isn't that such a great story? It also reminds us, by the way, the Bible says there, I believe it's 1 Chronicles 13 or 14, that uh, David said, let us go and bring the Ark of God back to us, for we did not seek it in the days of Saul. It is possible to be the people of God without the presence of God. And that's why we've got to talk about our worship being pure and sincere. It's possible for us to come into church every Sunday and walk out and God having not met with us. The Bible says that David, though, he brings the ark of God back into Jerusalem. He sets up a tent. Man, people come to worship. He feeds everybody. He gives out a bunch of bread. And this is what he says. 1 Chronicles 16, 8 and 9. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Praise to him. Speak of all of his wonders. If we're to be the people of God who worship well, a people with whom Jesus is pleased when we gather to worship him, we must be a people who give him rightfully the praise and glory that he is due. Now, I want to say one more thing to his church family before we move on. There's nothing wrong with us seeing unto God how much we need him. We see that all over the book of Psalms. There's nothing wrong with us telling God how much we need Him in our worship, songs of petition. There's nothing wrong with us doing and singing unto God, sometimes songs of proclamation that just tell, tell God and tell everybody, God, how much you love us. There's nothing wrong with those things. However, 
Sometimes I feel like our praise can be more filled with petition and proclamation than it actually is praise. Sometimes our worship can be all about self and very little about God. Sometimes it's good for us to come and say, God, this is not about me today. It's not about who you are to me. It's not about all these things. God, I just want to let you know how great you are. To sing unto the Lord how awesome our God is. To tell God how great he is. And sometimes just to sing unto the Lord as the angels did. And as we did even this morning. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is full of his glory. Sometimes, church family, we need to take self out of worship and just point it towards the Savior. I remember a spiritual marker in my own life. I was in college. I was doing everything right for the most part. And following Jesus, trying to pursue him. But you ever have one of those weeks or one of those days you just feels like God's far from you? It felt like I had kind of been living in that for several weeks, man. It felt like I would pray and I would meet with the Lord, but there just wasn't any fire. There wasn't any passion there. Something was missing. And that may be where some of you are here today. And so I, I remember I was at my kitchen there in this little dorm room and, and, and I was making a bowl of cereal. This is funny. I was pouring a bowl of Cheerios. And as I was pouring a bowl of Cheerios, I finally, I just couldn't exist that way. I felt far from God. I, I couldn't exist like that anymore. And I pushed the Cheerios away on the counter, and I hit my knees in my kitchen, and I raised my hands towards heaven, and I just started telling God who he was. Didn't ask him for anything. Didn't say anything. I just said, God, you're good. God, I just want to tell you that you're holy. God, I just want to tell you that you're righteous. God, I want to thank you that you're merciful, that you saved me. God, thank you that you are the provider. And I just started going through this rhythm in my head and my spirit of just telling God who he was, giving him praise. And it was like heaven came down and filled that kitchen. My spiritual battery went from empty to full in about three seconds in the presence of God. And church family, some of you may be there today. You're searching for God. You've got a lot of things going on in your heart and life. Let me tell you, one of the best things you can do is to get along with Jesus today and just tell God how good he is. And the Bible says that he inhabits the praise of his people. And lastly, this morning, I'm going to ask Brother Ron to come and Brother Ken and these guys prepare. But finally, this passage reminds us this morning that people are drawn to true and sincere worship. You know, the Bible says here in verse 18 that as this happens, the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to destroy him. This did not go over well in the Jewish world here. They were afraid of him. But this is something that, notice the next part of that. It says, but the whole crowd was astonished at his teaching. Think about that. They were astonished at what he was saying. Everybody else is mad. And in some aspects, think about this. Jesus was rebuking them. They weren't angry. They were astonished. They couldn't take their eyes off of him. And why is that? Because I believe in their heart of hearts, because God has created us to be a people with true and sincere worship to connect with God, is that when they saw and heard about what true and sincere worship was, they couldn't help but think, that's what I want. That's what I long for. Have you ever been at that place, church family, where you see somebody who is loving Jesus at a thousand miles an hour? They can't help but praise Him, man. They can't help but walk with Him. They can't help but walk in purity. They're quick to confession and repentance, but it just seems like Jesus is always on their heart and their mind's always on their mouth. Even in hard moments, man, Jesus is near them. And you see that person and you say, I want that unknown author said one time catch on fire for Jesus 
And people will come for miles to watch you burn. You ever been around somebody? The Spirit of God within them called out in you and said, there's more. There's more. Church family, we've talked this whole summer about seeking God. We've talked this whole summer about meeting with God and His Word and prayer and all that. And, and, and some of you, I'm, we're seeing God do that, man. God's lighting a fire and a passion inside of your heart to pursue Him and walk with Him. And some of you are still just kind of on that line. You're a little afraid to step off in the deep end a little bit. You're a little afraid to jump in 100% to truly, passionately pursue Jesus. And I want to beg you this morning by the mercies of God to say, come in. Come in, man. Pursue with him. Pursue him. Get up tomorrow morning early and give an hour to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I'm here. I'm not getting up until I've met with you. You've got some sin in your heart and life you've been hanging on to. You've never let anybody pray with you. You've never confessed that to anyone. You're bearing it on your own. You say, I got this. Let me ask you this question. How's that working? The Bible Bible calls us to be the church, and the church is not you by yourself. It's the called out assembly. Maybe it's time to get serious and bring some of these things into light. Why? Because as we read again just in the one-year Bible just last week, so that times of refreshing might come in the presence of the Lord. When you lay yourself fully on that altar, man, Jesus is going to run to meet you there. Or maybe this morning, you've just never fully surrendered your life to Jesus. And that's what's holding you back. You've never fully said, Jesus, I give you the lordship of my life. I give you the reins. Save me, oh God. Save me. And if that's you this morning, he's inviting you to come. You're drawn to it. Right now there's a hunger in your soul for it, for him. So we encourage you to come. You knew that a couple different ways. As we give this invitation again, man, this altar is open. If you just want to come and kneel. Listen, there's something about walking and publicly just laying before the Lord and saying, Jesus, here I am. There's something about that God honors. Maybe this morning it's grabbing your wife or your spouse and turning to one another. And as a husband, you're saying, baby, we're going to pray right now. We need Jesus more than we need anything else in the world. We're focused about so much, but Jesus, we want you. Or maybe it's you in a quiet moment between you and Jesus and you just say, dear Jesus, I don't really know you, but I want to know you. I believe you died on the cross for my sin and I want you to save me. Save me, oh Jesus. God will hear you right there where you are. Brother Ken's going to come and he's going to lead us in a song of worship here and as they come and lead us in this song, again, this altar is open. There's pastors and ministers will be available to pray with you. But take this moment to say, oh God, I'm running after you. Would you stand with me? Father, we love you this morning. God, we praise you. Lord, there is nothing better than being in your presence. God, in your presence is fullness of joy, Lord. To truly worship you, God, to be intimate with you, Lord, is just what what we were designed for. And so, Jesus, I pray right now, Lord, every every person in this room is that, God, those who maybe are, God, half-hearted in their worship right now, God, I pray you'd show them areas, convict them of that. And, God, I pray that they would come fully to you, Lord. Jesus. God, I pray that those who have been living in a mundane, no fire, no passion, God, no no pursuit of you, is that, God, they would beg you today, oh, God, make me hungry for you. 
Lord, I pray that idols would be cast down this morning. And full surrender would happen. And Jesus, I pray that even right now, under the sound of my voice, that one who right now in this room, they know that they don't know you. Is it Jesus? They would simply call out to you and say, Jesus, save me. Save me. Lord, I ask you, would you move for your glory in Jesus' name?